And happy Mother's Day. It's very, very good to have you all here. Uh, today is a day that we celebrate, and it's actually, uh, today we're, we're going to really be getting into what is the theology of Mother's Day all about. And for, for a lot of us, Mother's Day is a celebration. Uh, for me, I celebrate my mom. This is my mom and my brother and I. I'm the dude on the far right that looks like uh, Rylan. And uh, plotting right there already, just mischief, and how I'm going to hit my brother with that Easter pail. Um, my mom is a saint. She is uh, Saint Jeanette McFadden. She's a saint because she's had to deal with my dad, and she's had to deal with five kids where I'm the eldest. And so my mom is like the Mother Teresa of patience. No mom on planet Earth could be as, as patient as my mom, and you might say, no, no, my mother, no, she's the best. And so that's, you have to understand that just from the get-go. And so for some of us, we come into Mother's Day, and we're looking back, and we're like, man, I love my mom, and she was great. And others are like, now I'm a mom and it's kind of freaky weird and it's bananas as far as how crazy town it is. And uh, my, my uh, sister-in-law, Amy, uh, my brother Nathan's wife, uh, she posted this and I just love this. She said, never thought I'd be the mother who'd be at peace with my child screaming at me at tar in Target because she continually disobeyed and didn't earn the cake pop. But there I was, smiling at my fellow shoppers with my head held high. I love that. Mother's Day is a very, very important day. Uh, and in, honestly, there's not a whole lot of passages that you jump over to and say, this is the passage to preach on. But today, I think we have it. And it's, it's in 1 Peter. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to open to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. We're going to read this together. So if you'd go ahead and stand. This is Peter speaking. And again, uh, if, if you've been tracking with us as we've been going through the story, a couple weeks back, Peter is the guy who should be disqualified, but Jesus qualified him anyway. Uh, he should have been fired, but Jesus instead promoted him. So this is the guy, and all, all these years later, now he's writing this letter to this church. He says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had re not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Mother's Day is something that a lot of us, as I said, come in with a massive amount of celebration. However, we would be absolutely remiss if we did not acknowledge the fact that when we come into Mother's Day, it is a very painful thing for a lot of women. Actually, not even just women, a lot of people in general. Just all across the board, uh, Mother's Day has a lot of baggage in it, has a lot of difficulty in it, because of the fact that we look through different sets of windows that define for us reality. In fact, I'd make the point that the window we've observed the world through changes everything. And today we're going to be talking about Mother's Day and the theology of motherhood through four windows. If you're a, a woman in this room today, and even some men on some of these windows, this perhaps is the window that you choose to view reality through. Um, when I was growing up um, in La Crescenta, California, in, uh, on El Caminito Street, it was a cul-de-sac. And I remember we had this tiny little house, but we had this massive window. And in the window, um, you could just see, and th through the magnolia tree, you could see all the kids playing. You could see moms coming home from work. You could see uh, moms uh, beating my friends for things that they had done earlier in the day. 
It was like a window, and windows are great because when you're looking through a window, it's reality. You never are like, ah, that's not even true. I mean, you do that when you're watching the like, television or whatever, but you're not like, you never look through a window and say, I just don't know if I believe this. Because it's, you, you believe it. it is reality. The window you observe the world through, it, it, it defines and informs every bit of your reality. And for mothers or women in this room, women in, in this world, those windows can be devastatingly difficult when it comes to a day like today. The first window that a lot of people view uh, Mother's Day through is I wish I were a mom window. That's the first window. This is the window that, that many um, people come into Mother's Day and they say, you know what? This is one of the hardest days for me because of the fact that this day reminds me of the fact that I am not a mom. Perhaps for you, it's because you, you're like, I, I desperately want to find a, a spouse. I want to find a husband. I want to be able to, to start a family. And, and this is the day that reminds me that hasn't happened. And as much as I'm excited to wish my mom happy Mother's Day, I know that the follow-up question is, when is this going to happen for you? And so for me, looking through this window, if this is your context, this is painful because the reality I'm viewing the world through is that of absence. I've, I have not yet arrived it seems like even people at my church, they're more valuable if they have a kid. A lot of people, even for them, it's, it's not that they're not yet in a relationship, but they are in a relationship. But so many people within Manuka Bible Church have struggled with fertility. This is a painful, painful reminder of the fact that something isn't operating correctly. Like we're in a relationship, we're married, and yet what seems to come so easy, even accidentally to others, can't seem to work with us and the stress and the weight and the burden of what this is imposed upon your, your relationship, let alone your own psyche, is so difficult. Mother's Day can be so difficult when you're looking through the window of, I just wish, I just wish I was a mom. For others, coming into Mother's Day is difficult because they're short on resources. I'm a mom without resources. Perhaps the window that you're looking through from this angle is one of, I, I don't, I'm a single mom. I look at other people, and when I'm looking through the window, I see families that are intact, and they must have it all together. And I don't have that. I don't, I don't have the, the luxury of having a spouse or someone who could help me out. Or maybe you do, but they're not stepping up to the plate. And so all of a sudden, you're looking out of the window, and you're saying, I'm short on resources because my husband is not there for me. Or perhaps my husband has passed away. Or perhaps the short on resource that I'm looking through is the fact that right now, finances are so tight. I can't see the world without looking through the fact that I am a mom trying to make this work, and it's so tough. And I look out at other people and what they're doing and the vacations that they take, the pictures with their families that they have, and I just feel condemned and judged, even when they haven't said anything. And just when I'm feeling good about myself, I look at Facebook, and I'm right back at it. Seems like every mom is Pinterest ready to, for motherhood, and I'm not. That can make Mother's Day incredibly difficult. The third window is, is not being short on anything, it's having too much of something. Not short on resources, but too much regret. A lot of moms come into this day playing back the record player, the, the recording of, of all of the failures that they've had in their motherhood. Mother's Day is kind of like I know that a lot of people champion moms, but this is just not me. You don't, there's things that I should have said that I never said. 
There's things that I should have never said, but I did. There's things that I should have never done, but I did. There's other things that I should have done, but I just never stepped up and did it. And so for Mother's Day, a lot of times it's, it's, a, it's a condemnation and just like a, a judgment because I'm looking out on the fact that I have not done this well or I've made mistakes that I wish I could go back on. And, and if you're someone that's an empty nester, sometimes this window is equally difficult. Your kids are done. Because I mean, again, a lot of us who are raising kids right now, we see the finish line is like 18, bye-bye, adios. And then like our work is done. No. And, and, and for moms, a lot of times you realize that the, the thing that makes this so painful is that you're still reflecting on, on looking through the window of your perfection or lack thereof as a parent. And every time your child falls, your adult child fails, it's on you. You ask yourself the question, is this something that I should have done differently? Did, did we mess up here? Like, is this, every time they make a mistake or they make a decision that's off the grid or, or self-destructive, you, it, you impose it upon yourself. And it's so difficult not to look at the world outside of looking through the window of regret. This is actually a window that impacts more than just moms right now. Because every mom in this room had a mom. And she wasn't perfect. And every, every individual in this room, men or women, we've all had moms who probably, if they had the opportunity, would say, there is regret that I have on how I talk to you. There's regret on some of the things I did and we walk with the impact of those regrets. And for you, it might be one of those things where you're like, man, I just, <laughs> it'd be awesome if I could say, Mother's Day is the best. But it's really difficult with the childhood that I grew up with. Tara and uh, Joe Buchanan, they go to our church, and um, Tara blogs, and, and she was so awesomely honest in, in a recent blog where she said, uh, she talked about how um, Mother's Day is always really, really rough for Joe. If you don't know Joe's story, just incredibly, incredibly painful story. Um, motherhood to him was a constant communication of the fact that he's worthless and not loved. And so oddly enough, or maybe not so oddly enough, every year around this time, right around when May starts to come closer and closer, they get tense with each other. And all of a sudden, Joe starts to get more stressed out and, and more on the level of just um, just being shorter in, in patience and, and, and fan, out of nowhere. And, and Tara um, blogged about how this happened at one point and, and what took place. She, she writes, he could feel it sneaking up on him again. Mother's Day was coming. The reminder of the hurt and the loss he suffered through as a child. Joe describes it as missing a limb that he never had. Joe chose to be vulnerable with me that night, sharing the wounds that reopened this time of year without fail. I remember sitting in the dark with him that night as he broke down and asked me, what's wrong with me? I'm a 40-year-old man and I still can't get through a Mother's Day. This stuff happened decades ago. Shouldn't I be over it by now? Why does it still hurt so much? You must think I'm an idiot. Why, why can't I man up and not let this bother me? For many of us, Mother's Day is something that's not pure celebration. It's looking through a window of regret for the way things were in contrast with the way they, the way they should have been. And for some of us, we look through the window of loss. Mother's Day is so painful because we're without mom. 
For you, this may be one of the first years that your mom isn't here with you. You you can't make that phone call. You can't send that Hallmark card. You can't show up for dinner. And for you, one of the most difficult things about this is the fact that this person is no longer here and you can't get through Mother's Day without being a little bit jealous for everyone who seemingly is just taking for granted the fact that their mom is right across the room. For you, the whole reality that you're looking at this day through is through the lens of loss. I wish, I wish she was still here with us. The window we observe the world through changes everything. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was like, man, why does God do this? Why does God create a role? And I just wrote it down. Why Why would God create a role that is so often longed for but not satisfied or acquired, but never without heartache. Like, I get, I get the whole reality of the fact that sin's come into the world, it's broken everything, but why would this still be something that's championed, this idea of motherhood, where so many people wish that they could be moms, but can't, and never will, or others who experience it, but part of signing up for the gig is signing up for a world of heartache and frustration and confusion. Why? Which brings us back to Peter. Spoiler alert, Peter was not a mom. But Peter understood the idea of frustration and he understood the idea of disappointment and wondering why things are happening the way they are. In fact, it's so cool because again, just three weeks, four weeks back, we talked about how Peter was the disciple that, that he, he failed when, he should, when it mattered most. Like if we fail at things that are insignificant, who cares, big whoop. But if you fail at things that are absolutely critical, That is pronounced and it stands out. Peter understood what it was like to fail when it mattered most. And Jesus, instead of disqualifying him, said, I am your qualifier. Yeah, instead of kicking you to the curb on this movement of launching the church, I'm actually promoting you, the failure, the disqualified, into being qualified into that role. I'm going to launch this with your help, and you're going to go through this. And so Peter writes that letter that that I read to you before, and this is the cool thing about what Peter does. He speaks into a people, and then the people he's writing to are not Jewish. They're Gentiles, and so they're like on the outside, and Peter the Jew is like, I'm talking to you about this Messiah that, yes, we as Jews have been talking about and hoping for, but I met him, and and he's here, and he died for our sins, and he rose again, and now I want to share this with you. I know this is so far removed from your context and so far removed from your culture, but this Jesus is for you. And so he starts to tell them, guess what? This Jesus is building a house. He's building a home and a family, and you're part of it. And he tries to help them, and he's like, look, I get discouragement. I get what it feels like to be on the outside, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. And just to put it in context, this is what he says. He says, like, if you take us, we view reality through a lens, and the lens we view reality through is identity. We We cannot see reality through this lens of identity of how we see ourselves and how we see the world. The problem with that is that oftentimes these identities are windows that we're viewing through that are all about how we've messed up or how we're amazing, but we always fall short in. Our identity as the lens that we look through, the window that we look through reality is constantly calling us to compare ourselves with someone else and constantly beating ourselves up for the fact that we don't add up. So what does Peter do? Peter's like, I get this, but let me tell you who you are in Jesus because there's a new window to view things through. And he starts to drop all of these Hebrew concepts on them. 
and concepts that are kind of foreign to them. Like, these are things that if you've been tracking with us as we've been going through the Old Testament, you'd pick up on some of this, this phraseology. But, but what he's saying is, I'm going to tell you a bunch of Hebrew words that actually apply to you. I know that you're a Gentile. I know you're on the outside. I know you're like, man, you don't understand. I don't know if Jesus can love me because of my pagan past or the decisions that I made or the family I came from. Peter's like, no. That's actually the entry level reason why you're going to be accepted is because you need this Jesus. But because of him, you're now part of the chosen people. Just like God chose these people, he chose you. You are part of a royal priesthood. That was like something that was set apart as far as the role. Only the super religious get to be there. But God says, no, no, because of Jesus, I see you that way. Me? Do you know what I did in the eighth grade? Do you know what I did in the twelfth grade? I know. I, I do know. And that's actually the fact that I'm actually choosing you anyway. You're part of a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And you are someone who are, you were in the dark, but just like God created light in, the, in Genesis, you are now in that so you can see clearly and you've received mercy. He's using all these Old Testament Jewish concepts and saying, look, you guys are on the outside, but I'm saying that Jesus said that this is for you too, including the mercy. You know how big of a deal that is? This is the difference between grace and mercy, okay? Um, Jason, if Jason, if I, I went up to Jason and I said, hey, Jason, Sorry, you're in the front row and you're on staff, so I can pick on you. If I went up to Jason and I'm like, Jason, I want to give you my truck. And I just go up to him, I give him the keys. I'm like, the truck's all yours. And he's like, eh, I don't really. No. But he takes it anyway, right? He takes it. And he says, well, how much do I owe you? I'm like, nothing, man. It's a gift. It's just for you. Jason's like, oh, wow, great. That's grace. It's a free gift. No strings attached. Mercy is if I go out into the parking lot after the service and Jason is there just slamming my truck with a sledgehammer. And he's breaking the windshield. Every panel he has smashed. And he's like, I hate you. I hate you, Errol. This sermon was stupid. You're a dumb bot. He keeps on going, right? And he's just like smashing the whole truck in. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, Kah! and he just keeps looking at me. And he keeps on slamming it. He's messed up. He's done over and over again. And all of a sudden he gets done and he drops it. I didn't even call the cops, but it's Manuka. So they're all out in the parking lot already. Chief Justin is here, and he's like, so we're pressing charges, right? I mean, you, you better, like, just figure out how much it's going to cost because Jason owes you that. He owes you a new truck, and you should press charges against him. But I stop, and I look at Jason. I look at my smashed-up truck, and I say, Jason, you do owe me a new truck, and I should press charges, but I'm not. I'm going to buy a new truck for myself. You don't owe me a dime. You deserve punishment. You deserve to pay this back but I'm not going to have you pay it back. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And Peter says, in Christ, that's what we have. That's the window we're looking through. If we want to just update that just a little bit, we can just put it this way. Um, our reality is we're, we're not just looking through the identity of our disappointments and how our failures. We're actually looking through the fact that even though God knows me, God chose me. God knows you better than your spouse. He knows you better than your mom. He knows you better than your grandmother. He knows you better than your girlfriend or boyfriend. He knows all the junk on you, and yet he still chooses you. That's mind-blowing. Everyone else, we feel like we have to ramp up the best foot forward to impress. Not God. He knows how messed up we are, and he loves us anyway. He chose us anyway. We're a child of God, which means that if today you're like, man, Mother's Day is great. I could like write books about how awesome my mom is. I could write Hallmark cards because my mom was just the best. Sweet, awesome. Or if you're like, man, my mom's day is a day where I get around the campfire, I bring the kids, and I want to tell them how, you know, the horror stories of my upbringing because they were so bad. 
regardless of what kind of mom you had, your ultimate identity as a kid is God's kid. So you're a child of God first and foremost. Your context of how you grew up, your mom or your dad, that matters for sure. But your ultimate identifier is the fact that you're God's kid. You are forgiven and you are not alone. You're part of a holy nation. You're sought out by God. And this is huge. Like Naomi, like if Naomi was at a uh, concert, like I'm not going to ask you which, but just pretend you've got it in your head. She's at this concert and she's so excited. She's been saving up for the tickets. Her parents gave her the tickets for her birthday and she's at the concert. And in the middle of one of the songs, like the best song, the lead singer stops and the whole band comes down to a lull. And they're just like just vamping a little bit. Like you can hear the music in the background, but he just gets up to the mic and says, I just need to stop and just say, Naomi, I know you don't know me. That uh, kind of rhymes. But I wanted to tell you, I just think you're amazing. And then they jump right back into the chorus. She would be freaking out. Like, she would be like, that would be what she'd be telling people. She'd be telling her grandkids about that one. And then he said, Naomi. And, they would be, and that, she'd be so, why? Because the lead singer of the band stopped everything and sought her out. And Peter's saying, that's what God does with us. Do you realize that? You are sought out. God didn't like just go through like, like a yellow page. Naomi, he sought her out. He sought you out if you're in him. You can see clearly now, you were once in the darkness, but now you have a, the ability to have a different perspective. And you won't get, just like Jason, you won't get the punishment you deserve. Now this is huge, because when we see this, all of a sudden we recognize that the more that we understand that to be true, it does something with all the disappointment of our identity, the, our, the comparison game that we have. It causes that to disappear not completely. I mean, it's always going to keep on reoccurring in our life. But we get a chance to say, I've got a better window to look through. And if I wanted to summarize it, I could say it this way. The window I look through to see what reality is, to help me judge what reality is, is the gospel. The good news that God saw me just as I was, as messed up as I was, and he loved me anyway. And he sent Jesus. And because of that, I am living restored. Amen? And so the cool thing with that is this. All of a sudden, we, we recognize that to the degree that we let the gospel be the window that we view our life through, motherhood, if you're a mom or you're, or you're a lady that's not a mom, motherhood will position you closer to Jesus. To the degree you allow that to be the window, the more that, that you allow the gospel to be the window you view reality, motherhood itself will position you closer to Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean. You come back to this window, the window that says my identity is being a mom, and I'm not. And if that's your reality, where this is, this is the only thing I'm looking through, every day is a comparison game. Every person's post that they're having a kid or a, a baby shower, or your friend from college is like, I'm having a baby, number 15, whoop, whoop. And you're just like, I want to kill her. No longer is this frame this window, the way that you view the world. Why? Because of the gospel. The gospel informs you that you are so valuable by God, nothing can add to that. You having a child or not having a child does not dictate your worth. You are valuable and you have a role right now. Do not, Craig Rochelle put it this way, don't let comparison kill your calling. Don't let comparison when you're working, because if the gospel is instead, you trade out this window and you put the gospel in, all of a sudden you're looking through the reality of how Jesus looks at you. That allows you to have the, the most aware eyes. You're not just def deflecting your eyes from people who are celebrating motherhood. You can actually look at it straight in the face and say, yep, I wish that was me. It's not. Does that make me sad? It does. Does it destroy me? No. 
because I am so worthy because Jesus made me worthy that I know I've got a role right now. I'm not gonna let comparison kill that. I can move on to the second window that if I'm a mom that's, that's low on resources, I can actually say that if, if having it all together, if having a complete family, if having everything work is the criteria for my stability, I am unstable and I will perpetually be unstable. And I'll be looking out the window and constantly comparing myself to people who seem like, though they're not really, stable. But if I trade out this window with the gospel, all of a sudden, I realize that my joy does not rise and fall on how much I have it together. But when I look at the world through the gospel, I could be honest about my shortcomings and have the encouragement that I'm not alone. Is this a difficult period of life? Is, it, is, it a, is this tough? However many decades you have on this earth? Yeah. If you're under resources that make that more complicated and more stressed out, it does. You have a context that might be unique to you that's uniquely painful, but it is not the end of your story. If you're looking at the world through the gospel, you realize, I am not alone. He's walking with me through this. I can actually also recognize that, that even in my regret, if, if I'm going to consistently rewind the tapes of my failures, or the failures of others towards me, then this will constantly be a comparison game of people who seem to have it better off or are doing better than I have done. I will constantly be judging myself and my parenting through that lens unless I trade this out and I use the gospel. And what the gospel says is this. Jesus meets us in our regret and he gets us off the hook. Moms, grandmothers, the gospel informs you that on Mother's Day, you can declare that you're off the hook. You're off the hook. The shame and the pain that you're still holding on to, if you have given that to Jesus, the shame is gone. You're off the hook because God put Jesus on the hook for you. He took it. He paid for it. Which means that you can honestly look at the mistakes that you've made and you could own them. Yep, that happened. I should not have said that. And I shouldn't have done that. And this may actually handicap my relationship with this child. But it's not the end. Because God has forgiven me. And now, because I understand that I've got the forgiveness and liberty from God, I can look out this window and recognize that I can actually step in and take steps of healing and hope. I can actually step into apologizing to people that I need to apologize for. For those of you that are kids, that you've grown up and you've got this regret from the fact that your mom made mistakes with you, you could actually look out the lens of, lens of the gospel as well. And you could say, you know what? This Mother's Day, I can actually make a phone call. I can actually tell my mom I love her. Even though there's been drama and distance between us, I can actually do something where I extend to my mom the mercy, not getting what she deserves, that Jesus gave to me. Is that easy? Nope. Does it feel right? Nope. Does it feel justified? Absolutely not. Until you look through the window of the gospel and then even the regrets come into full focus and we recognize that God's got more life for you. For those of us that look out the lens of missing mom, oh, let me just go ahead and advance that. <laughs> and your mom, this, this, is a, this is a period of time where, again, you realize, yeah, that's great, but the gospel isn't going to bring mom back. You're right. 
but it does change the way that we mourn. Should we mourn on Mother's Day and Christmas and her birthday when, when mom or grandmother is gone and, we, and, we, and we just the reality of the fact that they're gone comes back into full, full focus? Absolutely. But scripture says that if because of the gospel, we mourn differently. We like mourn with perspective. If the person that, that has been lost, if their faith was in Jesus, then they too have been impacted by the gospel. And one day, if you're in him, you will see them again. And the amount of time that's on this planet is gonna look like a fraction compared to that. And folks, even if she wasn't in the Lord, the reality of scripture lets us know that the gospel informs us that God transitions even the worst mourning and the worst loss into something that we have perspective on because of the gospel. That's something that we can actually walk in. The truth is, is that, oh, it's not advancing, is it? There we go, there we go, and there we go. The truth is, is that the window that we look through matters. And, and this is the thing that I want to impress upon you. Today, I mean, today is a, a day where we, we, you're gonna, maybe you've got some big plans. Maybe you're going to your mom's house, or you're the mom that everyone's coming to your house, and it's like, yay, it's Mother's Day, now cook for us, and you're like, great. <laughs> and they actually think that it's your idea that you're, but. The truth is, let this be a day, whatever your context is, that you exemplify the gospel. If you need to forgive a child, let this be the day that the gospel is reflected on. If you need to forgive your mom, let this be the day that you reach out and apologize. If your mom is already passed away and you feel like there's no chance to say I'm sorry, there is. Because even though you can't speak to this person face to face and you're not communicating with them, there's something about in your own heart saying, I forgive my mom. I forgive her. I'm not going to hold this against her anymore. I'm not going to be running against the ghost of this in my past where I'm just, even though she's gone, I'm still dragging it through my life. Mother's Day for you can be a liberation into the reality of what God has accomplished for you. Don't let comparison kill your calling. Trade out each of these identifiers and instead let the gospel be the, the lens and the window that we view our world through and you will see what God is calling you into each and every day starting today. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for the fact that you did come up with the concept of motherhood. It's, it's something I, I know that I don't completely understand. Um, it's, it's unique and different from fatherhood. There's something unique about how you've wired moms to operate and think. And God, all of us in here, um, all of us are short on the tools necessary to do this perfectly. But God, I thank you so much for your patience and your forgiveness and your ability to help us hit the reset button with you and then step into looking at everything differently because we're viewing it through the lens of the good news of what you've accomplished for us. God, I pray for today that those who are hurting, who feel loss, will experience that morning through a new lens, a new window. For those of us, God, that need to step up and step in with words that need to have, have been said a long time ago of encouragement, of forgiveness, of restoration, let today be the day that we do so. 
And God, for all of us, God, I pray that you help us move closer and closer to you, Jesus. Through things we celebrate, through things we mourn, that we realize that you are walking with us through each. I will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Make sure you hit the photo booth on your way out. See you next week.